On today's episode, Ashley shares part one of the infamous Menendez family tragedy. Welcome to Crime Bar. photo shoot so that's why you look very so LA. pretty <laughs> very LA of me to have like a, this job and then also model slash try to be an actor on the side you try to be an actor no on I'm the just side? saying that's very LA oh god forbid I could never <laughs> well I wasn't judging I just no. was, I didn't know that I can't even do my own castings like when I go in the bathroom and I do my little auditions by myself so wait why did you say that you act on the side because everyone in LA acts or models on the side of a normal job oh, I don't you're different I never have yeah you're on your own special person. Um, okay. So do you know what story I'm doing? Did I tell you already? You already you have even told me now on camera, but you told me in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna do the Menendez brothers story. And that is something I'm very excited about because what I was telling you in the kitchen was I had an idea about the entire case mm -hmm. that couldn't be more false. Yep. And so I know that people will listen in yep. today and go, I had a yep. very wrong notion of yeah. what was going on. That's exactly what I've always thought too. And I actually was like, uh, I was kind of procrastinating, not very Virgo of me, but mm -hmm. I was. And so I was like, I just need a quick, easy like story. That's just going to be like easy to like throw together. That's whatever. That didn't happen. So I chose this one thinking, I already know everything about it. Like it's yeah. just, we're going to make fun of rich kids. Um, no, Yikes. I have a completely different opinion. Okay. And like this has taken me, it probably takes me three days to do like a full mm -hmm. story. Yeah. Um, this has taken me like two weeks and it's so heavy. It makes me cry Oy. and it's so heavy that I have to like stop and take a break. And like, it is, it's so much more than I thought it was. I'm so happy that this landed on a very emotional week for me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but there's so much and I was trying to condense it into the time frame I try to work within. Yeah. And um I can't do that. So we're doing a two parter? So this is gonna be a two parter. Our first so two parter. Do, yeah. So I'm gonna take up two weeks. Anyways, after doing this research, I'm a changed woman. Okay. Completely. I'm prepped to be one too. Yeah. Well, I think you'll be changed after the second week. Oh. You won't fully be changed the first one. I'm just like kind of getting but there. I'm also kind of a mortified woman after this. Okay. What'd you do? Well, I didn't do, I didn't do anything. Why do okay. you say it like that? What'd you do, Ash? <laughs> I didn't do anything, but um, like I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like getting red because I'm embarrassed. Are you crying? No, oh. I'm embarrassed because like. Um, Put your pants on. <laughs> no, I'm wearing a dress. Uh, no, I. I I, I don't know how to say it. You you think something, like you're calling something that happened, like you're no. predicting? No, no, no. I think that one of the killers is like so hot. Oh, that happens. You okay. can't feel embarrassed or guilty about that. I think there's some, like, I know I'm probably alone in this, but the Night Stalker, when he wears his Ray-Bans. Okay, wait. Not like any of the photos that he like went, like got famous for with like the headshots with the teeth. But he has mm -hmm. like some serious sex appeal when he's wearing his all black with his button down and his hair's flowing and he has his Ray-Bans. It's like a look. It's very Wilhelmina model. <laughs> okay, I see that. But um, I think because he, like what of what he did, it's it's like so I have, a, I, I can't. can't even see it. I saw but the photos this... before really knowing anything. I knew nothing about the Night Stalker before watching that documentary, I had just seen the photos and I was like, excuse me, what? Okay, okay, I'll, okay, I'll yeah. give you that. This guy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll get I, it. I don't even yeah. know what my, but 
My Ooh. husband is going to say when he hears, like, I think this killer is so hot. Like, I'm so embarrassed. He knows he married a weirdo. <laughs> I know. He but, knows. Like, it's so weird. He's not just like, finding out now. Yeah, okay. But um, who, if, if anyone was going to play him in a movie, what actor would play him? Just so I can kind of get an idea of the hotness, the vision. <sighs> Give me a vision. I mean, I feel like my husband's going to get mad, so I'm going to say Brett Johnson, my husband. He looks like Brett? No. Oh. <laughs> but he's just <laughs> he's like, I don't mad. know. He's so confident. It's so weird. If I heard him talking about some, like, smoke show girl who, like, murdered people, I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, really? I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Okay. Can I just show you a picture? Yeah. Okay. It's like the chicken Dexter. I feel like so, no, that's not real. It's not. Everything feels real. It's like, me. I feel so mortified. And show I was me. so, Okay. But then, like, when I look at him, I'm like, oh, I'm not mortified at all. Well, it went away. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. He has, like, okay, so he, and it, obviously, because I don't think Ben Stiller's hot. I'm so sorry if you're listening to this, Ben. <laughs> but he's, like, a hot Ben Stiller with, like, do you get what I'm kind of saying? With no. the ears in no. the mouth? No. He's just so hot. He's really cute, and he has, like, a really charming, he just looks really charming and yeah. charismatic. Yeah. He looks like he has all the jokes. Yeah. He looks like and he like has too many teeth. Look at that. Well, he he's looks got like... a massive jaw. What do you think? When you've got like a huge chisel You don't get jaw? more teeth just because you have a bigger jaw. All right. Well, I don't know. All I know is it's working for him. I like him. sweating. And I like that he's going like this in the picture. Just a carefree pose. Good for him. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what he did. <laughs> okay. That's not funny at all. I'm so sorry. No, it's not funny. Yikes. But wow. Anyways, I feel like cool down. It's hot in here as well. As it's hot in here, and I feel hot now. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. okay. So this story is of his name was Eric, and um, this story is about his hot name. He and his brother and his parents. Okay. Okay. So Jose Menendez was born in Havana, Cuba, on May 6, nineteen forty-four. So he's a tourist. Um, he was the only boy in the family, and he came from this environment in this era where, like, machismo types are, like, the definition of a real man. No kind thanks. Of thing. Yeah, no thanks. so you. outdated. Oh, my gosh. I'm sick yeah. of it. But it was it was very... Back then, it's oh, the, what's Where what and then and all that, like, it was very much like that's what a man is. He was 16 when Castro took over, so okay. he and his family, one by one, had to escape Cuba. Yeah. With literally just the clothes on their backs. Yeah. Like, this was pretty traumatizing. So he comes to this country, young and hungry, with nothing, and he winds up going to college in Illinois, like of all places, where he meets a pretty young thing named Mary. Cute. But she goes by Kitty, which is a little bit of a stretch, but that's what we're going to... Yeah, that's what we're going to call her, because that's what she goes by. You have to say she goes by Kitty Cat every time. Kitty Cat. Kitty was born on October 14th, so she's a Libra. So where she was really bubbly and happy, Jose was very serious and determined. So they get married and they move to New York. She works as a teacher and Jose picks up like any and every job he can find. He had like a very, very profound drive for success and he wanted money. Okay. So he always said like, throughout his life he always said that his lowest point in life was when he had to work as a dishwasher in a restaurant he felt he was above that and he was so disgusted to have to stoop to that level that he used that to fuel his determination to have like the ultimate american dream money power success like the rags to riches all that stuff yeah kitty wanted to be an actress but when she got pregnant jose told her that she couldn't work and that she would be a stay-at-home mom instead so yikes, that sounds awful. So that was that. Yeah. 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 Um, so she gives birth to their son Lyle on January 10th, 1968. So he's a Capricorn. And then she gives birth to their son, their second son, Eric. The hubba hubba. Yeah. Um, on November 27th, 1970. So he's a sad. Yeah. By this point, Jose has worked his way up the corporate ladder and now they are actually pretty well off financially. So they move from New York to uh, Princeton, New Jersey, which obviously is a very well-to-do, stately, old money kind of area. And so that's where the boys are raised. And then Jose is technically successful in business, but he is not liked. 
He's known for being ruthless and cutthroat, and there is literally nothing that he won't do in order to succeed. Jose was the type of person that you like really cowered from, someone you feared. So whether it be personally or professionally, like he just always expected perfection and he always felt like he never got it. So he was just kind of a brutal person all he around. Sounds corrupt. Like his values just kind of go out the door as long as money is coming in. He basically had no values. Yeah. Like ever at any point. He's a Taurus? Yeah. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> personally offended right now. So Kitty and Jose were obsessed with appearance. They wanted their boys to appear to be the best of the best, so Kitty often did their homework for them. <laughs> and obviously that meant they were actually pretty terrible students. They always like flunked their tests, obviously, because their mom was doing their homework. Yeah. Um, but it just helped kind of create this terrible attitude of like, you don't have to do what everybody else does. You don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to work to achieve something. But also putting weight in all of the wrong things, like the looks, the appearance. Of course, yeah. yeah. Jose was super flashy. He was like one of those guys who he just wanted everyone to know how much money he had. Mm -hmm. So like the boys would get chauffeured to school in a limo and they lived in New Jersey. So anytime they went to New York for yeah. like a day trip to the city, it was all limos and the nicest restaurants and He's the dude that has shopping. to like rev up his Ferrari engine. Yep. Like as he's leaving the restaurant. Yeah. His Ferragamo loafos. Loafos? <laughs> Loafers? <laughs> Actually, I don't want to say that my dad wears those, so. Does he listen to this, though? No, but I just don't want to. Papa, you look so good on your loafers. <laughs> you do. You do. I just couldn't think of another brand. I'm sorry, Pops. <laughs> Jose and Kitty were really competitive and instigated, like, a lot of competitive behavior between the boys as well. They really wanted the boys to excel in tennis specifically, and it seemed that Honestly, the tennis court was like really the only place where the boys learned to work hard to master something because obviously their parents couldn't master tennis for them. So even though they did enjoy the sport, Jose's approach to it was more about pushing their bodies to the limits. He thought physical suffering made you a better athlete. It's like Tiger's dad. Did you watch the Tiger Woods documentary? No. His dad would like physically and mentally torment him as he was just trying to like putt just to push him to his limit distraction-wise. So even from a young age, like younger than 10, the boys would get up at 5 a.m., practice with a private tennis coach for three hours, go to school, then more tennis after school. Then they'd go home and do homework until 10 p.m. and then the cycle repeats. The boys were just viewed in sort of treated as Jose's like thoroughbred horses. Like a product. Yeah, like broken to his liking and trained to just please him. Jose wanted his sons to be involved in sports, but never a sport that involved teammates. So it was mostly tennis or swimming. Or isolating. Things like that. It's very isolating. They had the same private tennis coach throughout their childhood and adolescence who said that Jose and Kitty were brutal. He said the boys really excelled at tennis, but they were both very humble about it, like never bragging or anything like that. And they seemed very laid back, not at all bratty or spoiled or anything. But he said whenever their parents were present during training, they would just ridicule and verbally abuse the kids. So I guess it sounds like Tiger's dad. Yeah. He said that he'd had many confrontations over the years with Jose about his behavior. He said Jose acted like he knew everything, but really he didn't. And it was especially obvious that he didn't know the first thing about coaching tennis. So finally, one day, the coach stood up to Jose and asked him that he leave the coaching to him. And Jose fired him on the spot. I bet. He'd been coaching the boys for like almost a decade at this point. Mm -hmm. This coach is later asked about, you know, like if the parents were so brutal, then why did you continue working for them? And he said that he just really cared for the boys and he felt like maybe he was one of the only kind adults in their lives. And clearly they were going to be forced to master tennis either way. And so he, he just felt like felt, a responsibility. He to felt stay. like a responsibility. And so later on, like skipping way ahead when like present day, when that coach learns of the truth of what the boys were living through, he says it has changed his life forever and he yeah. lives with the guilt of 
not picking up on certain things and not thinking to ask them Mm -hmm. what was really going on because he said that had he known he would have saved their lives yeah he never would have it's tough to assume that or jump to that yeah but i think that he gets judgment because he talks about how brutal the behavior he was witnessing was but but at the same time like, I mean, not to use like Tiger Woods as a comparison, because I just learned about that. I don't know anything about what you just said, but yeah. I assume he wasn't doing, his dad wasn't doing all this other stuff to him that, that Jose was doing yeah, to yeah, his yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. And so you never it, know. It's like, you don't know. They could just be a brutal, competitive parent like that. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, a private tennis coach, I'm sure he had his fair share of experiences. Difficult with people. Difficult parents and stuff like that. So he just didn't realize it. So the pressure that the parents put on the kids to excel and win any sporting match they had was in almost intolerable. The tension leading up to matches was horrific. And then whenever the boys had time off from school, they were expected to train for eight to 10 hours a day. And then the times that they lost a match, I mean, they were ridiculed and beaten. And I mean, just severely punished. Mm-hmm. Multiple family members stated that Jose's method of teaching his sons how to do things like swim was to hold them underwater until they were on the verge of passing out because he claimed it would make their lungs stronger. Eric said that every time it happened, he was on the verge of passing out, just clawing at his dad's arms. And it was always at the point where he thought he was about to die, that his dad would let him up. So if they weren't doing that, like in the swimming pool, Jose would take them out on the boat throw them overboard with no life jackets and then go back to shore and say you're on your own and they they didn't drown but it was traumatizing just yeah they were punished whenever they cried or showed pain jose did not want them doing anything like that so he started doing this thing he called pain training so he showed the boys all the pressure points all over your body and he would push down on them with all of his strength And if they showed any emotion or made a peep, they were punished. Then as they got bigger, like pre-teenage, he would make them do that to each other and he would supervise. Eric said one time Jose thought that Lyle was holding back and not being hard enough. So he told him to push on Eric's back harder. So Lyle whispered, I'm sorry. And he pushed as hard as he could and Eric screamed out in pain. Mm -hmm. And so Lyle jumps back and he stops and he confronts his dad and he says, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And Jose told them, I didn't raise you to get weak because you feel another person's pain. So that was their life. Yeah. Like that was, that was Jose's attitude towards life. Like don't show pain, inflict pain, don't feel empathy for other people's pain. And you have no choice but to win and succeed by any means necessary. Just training them to be corrupt. Yeah. And he was just... He was known to be a really dominating force to be reckoned with, like, um, like professionally, like yeah. just by the other adults that knew him. So that or teenagers it, it was or kids. It, it was extreme when it came to his own kids, and also, it's natural for little kids, especially little boys, to just idolize their dad. So yeah. it was especially when they were younger. It's like this mix of idolizing and fearing and then jose comes from that era of parenting that believes that fear equals respect which we know in this day and age is not true you're just if you're approaching your kids like that you're just crippling their development but that's what he believed so it was just as much fear as possible that he could instill in them he felt meant like he was succeeding as a parent that's why it's so important to pick a partner that you want to see as a husband. Like we've talked about this oh where gosh, other than I just know. being a good husband, yeah. they have to be a good parent, whether they, yeah. you have sons or daughters, but yep. that kid is going to yeah. idolize that person. And we do not need to raise more awful kids no. that turn into awful men. And I, I had never thought about like, I thought of it in this way until I was in, um, I was in like a class. I think it was like a professor said this to me. It was like, you have to think through you know, it's one thing if you're with a partner that you're like, oh, they wouldn't be a great dad, but I'll always be here to take care of it. Like I'll always be here to protect mm-hmm. them or compensate or to be in charge. And she was like, you can't plan for that because what if you died? And then you're you're going into this as your child's like savior. And then what if you are removed from the situation yeah. and they're stuck with that? Like you have a obligation to 
pick a good parent for your child and that you feel just as confident can take care of them if you're not there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, but the fear that they had of their dad wasn't solely based on his behavior towards them. It went way beyond that when they could see their dad's willingness to take another life. Ooh. So when the boys were little, they had a pet ferret and a couple of dogs. And one of the dogs was a really aggressive black lab. And one day they came home to find that the ferret had died. And Jose and Kitty were convinced that the black lab had killed it. So a few days later, the boys got home from school and opened the refrigerator to find their dog's head sitting inside of it. It's one thing to put the, I mean, it's awful to put the dog down in general, but then to make it into this like visual punishment as well. The kids didn't make the kid, or make the dog commit murder. And now they're traumatized. Yeah. That's sickening. Like it's one thing to put your dog down or get rid of it or whatever. Well, it's but like, like the Godfather or whatever that gangster brute. movie is where, where they, they put the, horse, the horse's head. Yeah. So then a few years after that, Lyle has a pet rabbit. And for whatever reason, um, I don't know what it was. His parents didn't want him to keep it and they told him to get rid of it. And he didn't do it right away. And I don't know if it was just because he hadn't gotten around to it or he just wanted to keep his pet rabbit, <laughs> but he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So one day he comes home and his rabbit is gone. So he went to his mom and he asked where it was. And she said, you were supposed to get rid of it. You can ask your father where it is. So he goes and he asks his dad. And Jose said, you were supposed to get rid of it. So it's in the garbage. And he said he just immediately, like, his heart stopped. And he started sweating. And he walked over to the... I would vomit. Yeah. He walks over to the trash. He lifted the lid and found that his dad had beaten his pet rabbit to death and then just thrown it into the trash, like just on top of the normal household garbage. There were flies all over and it So even the way he worded that, like because you didn't do this, yeah. I had to do this that. Was on you. Yeah. Just to further yeah. push the feeling of guilt and shame on him. Yeah. So you you get a sense of who his yeah, I their hate dad is. These people. Yeah. I hate them. Yeah. So the boys were kept very isolated when they were younger. And then when they got old enough that they started dating, Kitty would openly ridicule the girls they were seeing. She would call them whores and sluts and force the boys to stop seeing them. So anyways, Jose and Kitty had this image of their boys going to Ivy League schools, becoming professional tennis stars who rub elbows with the rich and powerful and country clubs and live in big estates Mm -hmm. and like... They were doing really well for themselves at this point, and they wanted their sons to be, like, Even next level. Next kind step, of, yeah. yeah. So Jose really wanted Lyle to go to Princeton, but remember, he's not a very good student. Mm-hmm. So um, the only thing he really excelled at was sports tennis. at that point. Yeah. It was just really just tennis. So in what sounds like the OG, like, college admissions scandal. I was going to say, why don't they just pay them? Yeah. Jose made a $50,000 donation to Princeton, and then miraculously, Lyle was accepted. It's weird how that works. Yeah. So not surprisingly, Lyle was failing all of his classes, and then when he was accused of plagiarizing a paper, he got suspended from Princeton. And Jose tried to salvage it, but, like, it just, it didn't work. So right around this time, Jose started working as an executive in the entertainment business and needed to relocate to Los Angeles. So Lyle is in his 20s. He's lived in Princeton his whole life. And even though he is technically suspended from college, he decides to stay in New Jersey. So Jose, Kitty, and Eric moved to Calabasas, which is a wealthy, yeah, it's a wealthy suburb of Los Angeles. They buy this massive home with mountain views and a tennis court, and Eric starts going to Calabasas High School. Lyle doesn't live with them, but because he has nothing going on, he visits a lot. Um, So the boys make friends, and together with a bunch of other rich kids, they started breaking into homes. So first it started out really small, like they would break into a vacant home just just to say that they did it. Then it graduated to breaking into homes that were occupied and they would just snoop but not take anything. Then they started breaking in and stealing small items. Then it reached the point where they would scout out a house and as soon as they knew that the occupants were gone, they would back up a huge van to the front door and just load up as much as they could carry. And then obviously they get caught because like, duh. Yeah, very obvious. And remember, 
their parents are obsessed with like status and appearance yeah. and that kind of thing. So this and, is mortifying and, to them. Well, no. Oh. Uh, what's mortifying is that they got caught. Well, that's what I'm saying. Image-wise. Yeah, Image-wise. Yeah, their but not, yeah, not like morally. So to avoid this getting around, Jose took his kids to every single home. He made the boys apologize, and then he asked the owners for an itemized list of all the items that were stolen and their value, and then right there on the spot, cut them a check in exchange for keeping this private. Wow. So when Jose had learned what they'd been arrested for, he didn't punish them, obviously, for doing it. He punished them for getting caught. He told his sons that they were idiots who would never be leaders. He didn't care how his kids became successful. He just wanted them to be successful or uh, like his definition of success. I mean, he viewed life as being similar to war and anything you did to win is fine, which ironically, like all of the abuse that he inflicted made him the enemy in this war that he's raising them in. So not long after this whole like burglary situation, in early 1989, Kitty and Jose decide to move to West LA. So their net worth is valued at around $15 million at this point. So they're doing like really well for themselves because that's like close to, I mean, 14 million, 14 or 15, whatever it is, like that's doing really well now. But in, with then. inflation today, that's closer to like $30 million. So they buy this um, massive six bed, eight bath, 9,000 square foot home at 722 North Elm Drive in Beverly Hills. Okay. Obviously, all of Beverly Hills is very desirable, but the flats of Beverly Hills where their house is located is particularly desirable. It's like all the streets that you see in movies. It's like a big, wide, flat street with all the wall lined with palm trees and big homes. Like it's literally any movie where you see like streets of Beverly Hills, it's the streets that they lived on. Yeah. Or all the Instagram um, influencers taking pictures there, crouching in the street. Yes, literally. So they move here and Jose started to express to those around him how much his sons disappointed him. He loathed that they weren't doing anything with their lives and said he was considering removing them from his will. Lyle was suspended, which I I get how that's like disappointing. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't doing anything other than like hopping between Princeton and Beverly Hills spending his parents' money on women and partying. And, like, he he actually wasn't doing anything. Um, Eric, on the other hand, was in high school. So I think it's a little unfair to say he wasn't doing anything with his life. Um, But Jose said that, like, you know, he's just spending his parents' money and driving their cars. And he's just, he's not doing anything either. So they took the kids' credit cards away to try to teach them, like, the value of a dollar. But... They already did the damage. Too little, too late. Like, that's not even how you would do it. Like, that's just not how to do, like, knowing the way that their kids have been raised at that point was just so lavish. Like, that's just not how, suddenly cutting them off is not going to. He also has taught them that there's no repercussions to their actions. Exactly, yeah. And then you can just throw money at something to fix it. So, So, stupid. Lyle just starts stealing their cash and credit cards and just continues to live his life. So, like, it, it didn't do anything. I hate like rich kids who just sit around and do nothing anyway. So I don't say it in defense of them, but it's also like, I I I feel for the boys in that situation where it's just like, they didn't have like the first idea of like how to make a normal how living, to be functional adults. how to be functional. Yeah. So it was just like, it, it's just like the most irrational thing on their parents' part. So a friend of Kitty said that one day, um, she was at their Beverly Hills home and Kitty was on her computer. So the friend asked her what she was doing and Kitty said, I'm changing my will. I'm removing the boys. And her friend looked down the hallway and she whispered, Kitty, Lyle's standing right there. He can hear you. He's going to know that you're removing him. Yeah. And Kitty said, I don't care. They know I'm not leaving them anything. So later on, Lyle claims that that isn't really how it happened. He said it's really complicated to try to explain to outsiders the wealth they lived in and the environment they lived in and how they just didn't put much stock in the idea of not inheriting money when they died because it was just not how they lived you know like and and then obviously they were just when they tried to take the money away they just started stealing it from them and their parents didn't do anything about that either so it it was like no matter what so it just didn't like it as much as it seems to an outsider hearing that I think what he was just trying to say is that it to us hearing that it could be motivation to kill someone, but for him, they were just like 
it doesn't mean anything. It's sort of like yeah. empty threats. Like okay. it doesn't really matter to them. So around the same time that this happened where her friend said that she was removing them from her will, Kitty discovered that Jose for years had hoes in different area codes. Shocker. So she attempted suicide by overdosing on Valium, but it was unsuccessful. Um, when she was taken to the hospital, the doctors wanted her to be further evaluated after they made sure she was um, safe. But Jose intervened and said she didn't need any help and he took her home. Gross. So she started telling people that she wished that she didn't have kids and that they ruined her life and her marriage. And the no, boys, being married to a shitty person yeah, ruined your ruins marriage. ruins everything. The boys claimed that they grew up watching Jose mentally and physically abuse Kitty and that as time went on, it just seemed like she became more and more a shell of herself who became very dependent on alcohol and prescription pills. And um, when Eric was 16, he opened a drawer to find a huge stack of his mom's suicide notes that were all dated from like years past. And so he, at the time at least, only knew of that that one attempt that I just mentioned. And so, but it was clear that she had either made several other attempts or had just intended to and then didn't go through with it. So that just, it's so sad. And it kind of just gives you, you know, you have an idea of what their dad was like and then you have an idea of what their mom was going through and why she was so like absent. So I'm going to walk you through the week leading up to the murders. Okay. Because everything is happening on a daily basis and it's really important to understand how it happened. Okay. So Sunday, August 13th, Eric had just graduated high school a few weeks ago and was accepted to UCLA. Freshmen were supposed to live in dorms off campus and he was really eager to start school because it would mean he would finally get away from his dad for the first time. And a massive fight erupts when Jose tells Eric, you won't be living in a dorm, you're going to continue to live at home. So they end up getting into a physical altercation and Jose throws Eric against the wall and holds his forearm against his throat and tells him he's not going anywhere. So Tuesday, August 15th, Lyle is in town visiting and he gets into a heated argument with Kitty and and like, what about, I don't know. And it doesn't seem like it's relevant. Eric walks into the room just as he sees his mom lurch towards Lyle and rip his hair off of his head. Off of Lyle's head? Yes. Like she. So she's fighting with her husband and then she. No, she, no, she's fighting with Lyle. Got it. Okay. So she's in an argument with her son who's in town visiting. Eric just happens to walk into the room. As he's ripping. She's ripping. And so she lurches at him because she's much smaller. She lurches and rips the hair off of the top of his head. Oh. So Lyle and Eric are both standing there stunned and Kitty walks away. Lyle is mortified and Eric is thinking he just saw his mom rip his brother's hair off of his head and walk away with it. And then he realizes. It's hard to do. Well, yeah. But then he realizes Lyle had been wearing a toupee and Lyle is 21. So it's like super weird. Well, it turns out his hair had started to thin and Jose thought that that meant he wasn't a real man. So he forced no, him. Oh, I'm sick of this stuff. Yeah. Boys, oh, oh, honey, let your wait. hair just do its thing. Women will still like you. And if they don't, they suck. Yeah. So he, Jose forced Lyle to start wearing a toupee. And Eric hadn't known that because Lyle was really mortified, mortified by it. He was really embarrassed. Understandable. So the boys go outside and Lyle is inconsolable. And Eric is trying to tell him, like, this isn't a big deal. Don't be embarrassed. And... He's just so upset. And then Lyle, Eric starts to get frustrated and he goes, God, there's just so many secrets in this family. Mm. And, and so this leads to the brothers having a very open and honest conversation about the secrets that they've been keeping from each other. Eric starts to cry and he confesses to Lyle that Jose has been sexually abusing him since he was six years old (gasps) and that it was still going on present day. I did not see that coming for some reason. Lyle had asked, but listen to this. Lyle had asked Eric when they were very little if their dad ever did things to him. Because he did it to him. But Eric had denied it at the time. Lyle had asked him that because Jose had been sexually abusing him throughout his childhood. 
So Lyle said he was mortified, devastated to learn that not only was it still happening because like his own abuse stopped when he became a teenager. So between Eric denying it as a child and then now he's 18. So comparing, remembering that he denied it and then comparing it to his own situation where it stopped when he became an adolescent, he just assumed it only happened to him and not to Eric. So to hear that not only was that not true and it was happening that whole time um, and still. What kind of meant that the dad stopped with him, picked up on with a new victim? basically too well no so what happened actually was they're only like two years apart i think oh and so uh when uh, i'll get into all of this later but basically um lyle started getting abused when he was eight eric was six at that point so he started actually abusing them both at the same time So Thursday, August 17th, Lyle confronts Jose and tells him that he knows about the abuse and tells him he's never going to touch his brother again. Obviously, Jose explodes and he tells Lyle, you're going back to Princeton, Eric is going back to UCLA, and we are all going to forget this conversation. And Lyle pushes back and says, that's not going to happen. So Jose takes a step back and sort of sizes him up. And Jose says... We all make choices in life. Eric's made his, you're making yours now, and I have to make mine. I know you're going to tell everyone, and I'm not going to let that happen. Then he and Eric have a physical altercation. Eric manages to run away from his dad and down the stairs where Kitty comes out of the room because Eric's hysterical. Eric is, um, like, I know I have, like, such a crush on him, but he's super emotional. <laughs> he's really oh, sensitive, so he, he basically cries all the time throughout this story. I don't know why I love that. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm so twisted. I want to nurture like, it. I, I, I know. know. <laughs> I know. So Kitty comes out of the room, and Eric's, you know, he's she's just overheard something, and she's like, what is going on? What's wrong with you? What is it? And Eric is just so upset, and he's like, you wouldn't understand and Kitty gets mad and she goes, oh, I understand. I've always known. Did you think I was stupid? Kitty! So she admits she has always known about the molestation. I almost felt bad for her for one second. Uh-huh. But, so she admits that she's known. Okay. And she accuses Eric and Lyle of ruining their family. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. She's blaming them. Yeah. For- yeah. Yes. Yes. Kitty. Kitty. Oh my God. Kitty cat, you can't be doing this. I hate him. Yeah. I hate him. Yeah. So this moment is so, so earth shattering to Eric because, I mean, no explanation needed. (laughs) Well, no, I know. But I mean, he, to just explain the way it changed his world, Mm -hmm. he's carried this horrific secret where, you know, for the first portion of his life, he didn't know it was wrong. And then eventually he realizes it is wrong and he doesn't tell anyone. And then finally going to UCLA, which is for anyone who the doesn't relief. know, is literally like 10 minutes from where he lives. But because freshmen are supposed to live in dorms, it was like for the first time, he's finally going to be away from his dad and this isn't going to happen anymore. And then his dad is taking that away from him and then he does this thing that his dad has drilled into him he can never do or he'll kill him. He tells someone, he tells his brother, and his brother stands up to him. And I'll get more into that later too, but I think I'm kind of guessing that because the, the Lyle is much more like aggressive and confrontational than Eric is, he's much more sensitive and like reserved. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe that is why Jose stopped abusing him when he was an adolescent because he was probably fought back fought back maybe or like you know i don't know i'm just speculating um that's all really hard that's all really earth shattering this is all really really difficult but then to learn that his mom has known all along and then blames and then blames you like thanks a lot you ruined my marriage literally like his world was just they gotta go this moment oh anna (laughs) They got to go. Well, okay. So this changes. He, I think he feels like this it's moment pivotal. is what changes his life. Yeah. And that moment, because this is back to back where um, 
Jose says, like, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let you say something. Okay. And so then, like a threat. And then his mom is like, I've, of course, I've always known. So that puts into perspective his dad isn't just threatening, but, like, he might actually be threatening. Like, he might actually do something. Yeah. So for the first time, despite fearing his his dad his whole life, he feels very sincere genuine fear for his life yeah in this moment yeah so the next day friday august 18th eric and lyle need to get out of the house so they just get in the car and start driving and they're just driving aimlessly for hours and they end up they're just panicked and scared and they just need to get out of the house to get away from their dad some argue that that's not what was happening and that they were like okay we're gonna do something like in cahoots like they thought yeah some people argue they were panicked and scared and just got out of the house and started driving and things just transpired. Other people argue they were malicious and they decided to go specifically go to San Diego, go to a big five sporting goods and ask for gun like guns for protection. Okay. So So the boys are claiming this just kind of happened. They're claiming they just were terrified and needed to get out of the house and they were driving and then happened upon and then happened upon San Diego 2 hours away. And then went to a Big Five sporting goods store that sold guns. And then they told the guy behind the register, like, we want, like, guns for protection. What would you suggest? And they were looking at, like, little, like, handheld guns. Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, no, no, no. If you want protection, you need these. And he pulls what down they go with? two 12-gauge shotguns. I feel like that's, like, I would go with, like, a Glock. Yeah. And so um, they bought them. Oh, okay. So they, they bought, they went with the professional's opinion and you they- You probably thought protection from like bears. Yeah, I don't know. You wouldn't think I, parents. I don't know. So. so they do buy them and then they go home. They said that they had never even fired a gun before and they hadn't really thought through why they bought them. Just They just did it impulsively out of fear. That's what they say. Okay. I could see a little bit of that. Yeah. And I- I think they probably- I mean, okay. I kind of feel like, I guess like I just- I've never feared for my life in a way where it made me want to go get a gun. Like I'm, I'm scared of guns. I don't want them around me. Mm -hmm. So in my mind and maybe for you too, it's like, okay, Lyle is already an adult that doesn't even live. He lives on the East coast. He's just visiting. So he's gotten out. Eric is now 18. He's on the verge of going to college. Like he can leave. And so in my mind, it's like just plausible, like just, to go, go away just leave yeah like you don't need to but i could see a little bit of venge- vengeance though like you're so disgusted and angry and bitter and just i can see wanting to hurt them yeah and so that's obviously the prosecution's yeah. argument is that this was all vengeful it was all planned it was all malicious they're just brutal kids other people are like they were just terrified and things got out of hand so I'm not going to try to convince anyone um, of what of we don't what, know what their yeah, brains were really I thinking. just want to clarify. It's understandable though. They're, what yeah. I'm saying. Yes. I, that's what I'm, I'm like. I get it. I, yeah, I, I think that, and again, I'm going to go all into this in a little bit, but like, I think it was all just for the moment impulsive. They're 18 and 21. So their brains are not fully developed. Their oh, critical thinking is not, you know, and then if you're panicked and you're, you've, you've been raised in this horrible horrible environment that most people can't even relate to it's just like all of that is just a perfect storm of bad bad decisions absolutely so so they wind up with these guns okay and they and then they go back home okay so the reason i said all of that like why wouldn't you just leave is eric said that the idea of running away like that just wasn't even an option like even even today he's in prison spoiler alert he's in prison today in his 50s and he says looking back at how everything played out and everything he knows now he still believes that had he tried to leave like that like run away would have found that him. his dad would have killed him he would have tracked him down and killed him yeah so i believe that yeah you could argue that's just justifying your actions no, but i don't no. i i believe that i do too and then on top of that when he was really young i think it, he was um i didn't write down his age it was like t- 10 or 11 um, when they lived in Princeton, he they lived in this really wooded area, and he ran away. He was just in the woods, so he had to come back. Oh, he didn't, couldn't get anywhere. Um, his dad, from that day on, not just drilled into him that he would kill him if he ran away, but 
he graphically, graphically described to him what his brain and head would look like after he was done beating him to death. So it's like the fear of just not being able to leave. Yeah. Like it was. Did you ever run away as a kid? Yeah, I did. You did? At what age? Um, I was like three and pissed. <laughs> What's a three-year-old's problem? <laughs> I, um, I think like my brother, cause he was like six, he's like six years older than me. He was, um, he's a dick. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Yeah. <laughs> he was being an asshole. And, um, I was a middle child. So there was like a lot of middle child yeah, situations just a lot of feelings. going on. There was yeah. like a baby, there's a newborn, there's an older, you know. You didn't feel seen is what you're uh, saying. I didn't feel seen and I was super pissed about it. And so I stormed out. I ran away twice. The first time I was actually two and a half. <laughs> Literally because my sister, my sister was like three weeks old. And my mom said that she was like so sleep deprived. She has a newborn. Yeah. She's sleeping with a newborn on her chest and... I'm two and a half. I'm like a toddler and I was mad and I was jealous and I had some issues and she wasn't, she wasn't hearing them. And so I said something like, I'm going to leave. And I stormed out and she was, she was falling asleep. Like she was like, um, drowsy and she heard the door slam, like the front door slam. And she was so sleep. she was like literally falling asleep, holding the baby. And then all of a sudden like came to and was yeah. like, oh my God, that was the front door. And she like, she was so disoriented. She couldn't, she didn't know if it hit, like I had just slammed the door or if it was like hours ago. Ugh, and so she jumps panic. up and she goes running out and I am curled up on like the porch seat in the front. And I yeah, you got cri- far. I had cried myself to sleep. I was so mad. So I ran no away one there. Loves me. So I don't remember that. I just know yeah. that story. And then this other time that I ran away, I remember being big enough that I was like pissed. I was mad at my brother. I was mad at my mom. And I walked out and I got to like the end of the driveway and was like, oh, I like didn't bring like everything that I needed I was like I need a tent (laughs) I need like one of those snacks I I needed food I needed a tent and like I we had gone camping and stuff so I definitely knew like what you needed what it takes what yeah and so I needed one of those lanterns and then I needed um a tent and then because in my little kid brain I needed like a stick with a bandana that I could like put stuff in like just like in the movies and you put it on your shoulder and you walk like that and I didn't have any of those so I needed to get back in the house. So I went back to the front door. Like rain check. And it was locked. And it had taken me like a minute to get to the drive and yeah. then go, wait, I need They're all these supplies. You a and my mom and my asshole brother, both of these assholes, yeah. were standing behind the door laughing. And they were like, no, you ran away. You can't come back. And Run. I, and I was like, what? I was so upset. And yeah. so then I was just crying. I was so pissed. So That's hilarious. Yeah. I only ran away once because, I mean, I had no problems at that as a child. Well, neither did I. I had no problems, no reason to. But there was like this one bush that was kind of hollow and I wanted to sit in it and I wanted an excuse to sit in it and just kind of have some me time. And so I ran away solely for to be, first of all, left alone as an only child, which makes no sense. No one wanted to be around me anyways. But also because I was like, I'm going to want to have run away at some point as like a story. <laughs> One day I'm going to have my own podcast and, and someone's going to ask me, this. did you run away? How old are you? I, I was in my, what, my, my second house. So I had to have been no more than four or five, oh my but my little brain actually thought I'm going to need to talk about this. It's like people that had only children or, um, uh, what's the, when you don't see invisible people. Um, secret friends, um, invisible friends. Oh yeah, uh, imaginary, imaginary friend. friends, yeah. secret friends, secret <laughs> friends, <laughs> invisible <laughs> friends. I was like, I don't have an imaginary friend, and I've never run away, so I need to do one of them. You need to pick one. And so I ran away, sat under the bush, got bored, went back inside. Yeah, so that's my story. But you can... your mom didn't lock you out. No, I don't remember her really that's being nice. involved at all. I think she just thought I was playing because I was the, the weird first time she's kid. hearing of it. She's like, oh, I didn't realize what you no, were doing. No, I was just bizarre. So okay. So, anyways. Uh, so that is why he never ran away. Okay. And then, um, on Saturday, August 19th, Jose announces to his sons and to Kitty that they're all going to go down to Marina del Rey, rent a boat no. and go fishing. And they, the have day. they ever done this? So, and the boys are like, shit, 
Yeah. Because um, no, this isn't normal for them. Yeah. It's super unusual for Jose to plan a last minute family, family activity. activity. Uh, so they're just like, and the, the timing is just bizarre because they had both been sworn to secrecy and groomed by their dad to never talk about what they were experiencing. And then they do it. So they like, this is just, it's huge. And then they, their mom and it's, I've always known and I didn't care and I didn't do anything. And then like, they feel like they've been like their dad's threatening their lives. And so it's just of all the times you put to two be and like, two together. Exactly. So they were freaked out. Understandably. The whole drive down from Beverly Hills to the Marina. No one spoke. No one said a word. So then, way and, to be and subtle. The, the closer they get, like the it just like with every mile, the boys are just starting to panic more and more because they're realizing they can't get out of this. But their parents are about to go take them on a boat, go out to the middle of the ocean, and no one else is going to be around. So what does that leave you with? Yeah. So they get there, they get on the boat, they set sail, and Kitty is furious because it turns out the captain of the boat and a small crew is going to remain on the boat the entire time part of this boat rental which i don't know if she didn't know this or if jose didn't know this or whatever what he had technically rented was a day of fishing lessons so they were never going to get the boat by themselves they were basically renting the boat and the staff and the captain this guy named bob was going to give them all fishing lessons all day. So she's pissed that she doesn't have the privacy to murder her sons. Well, so that's what she doesn't. Sorry, she doesn't, sorry, Kitty. Sorry, but she doesn't say that. So Eric and Lyle are just like realizing how pissed she is. And they're like, it doesn't make any sense. Like if you're trying to justify that, like, you know, they were way off and their parents were going to do anything. It didn't make any sense no. why she, of all people, is going to care whether there's a staff on the boat or not. So anyways, Bob, this captain, he says, the vibe is weird. It's rough. It's bad. It was choppy waters. It was not smooth sailing. No, not <laughs> smooth sailing at all. I love what you did Thank there. you. Thank Very you. Good. I'm punny yeah. today. Um, he says that the boys immediately, as soon as they get on the boat, hightail it to the front of the boat. And they sit there huddled together the entire time. And they avoided coming into contact with their parents the whole day. Then he says, and they didn't fish. They didn't fish all day. And then the parents go down below into the little quarters and they stay down there all day. They don't come up. They don't fish. And he said it was clear they were angry. Oh, yeah. So, but he didn't know what about. He just said, you know, it was like really clear that the kids were avoiding their parents and the parents were really mad. An awful thing to be a part of. So he says that they're, the boys are up at the front huddled together for hours. And he didn't really read into that mm -hmm. until a massive wave crashes over the front of the boat and completely soaks the boys. Okay. And they don't budge. The boys don't? They don't move. They don't get up and go They're back so to get petrified. towels. They don't They don't act like it happened. They just huddle together. And he says, it's already a pretty chilly day. Now they are dripping. Soaked. Yeah. He can see that they're shivering from the back of the boat where he is, and they don't move. Yeah. And so he's like, what is this? This family like, is this bizarre. This is crazy. Yeah. I'm so sad for these kids. It's, uh, dude. It gets so much worse. Yeah, I believe you. So Eric says that while he and Lyle were up huddled at the front of the boat, they just spent the entire day talking about everything. I don't really know like how close they would have described themselves before, but they definitely explain later that um, their dad specifically divided them. Yeah. And so they never confided in each other. They never, they didn't have, it wasn't like, at least we went through this together. Like they were isolated in the same home. Well, the way he made them torture each other. other. Yeah. They both just didn't even realize that in a lot of ways, they both thought they were the only ones going through it and that the other one wasn't. So they didn't want to share with the other one. And then, you know, 
And um, and Lyle in particular definitely believed Eric wasn't getting abused sexually because he asked him Mm -hmm. and he had said no, which now we know that it's very common that kids deny it. Yeah. So um, they just, I don't know if you want to call it reconnected. They weren't reconnecting, but they were trauma bonding and finally sharing like 18 years of stories that they had kept from one another. And then the boat trip ends. They get in the car. They drive back. And the moment that they got home, the boys bolted to their bedrooms and didn't come out all night. And Eric says that as soon as he got into his room and he locked the door, his dad was right behind him, violently banging and screaming on the door to let him in. And Eric said his shotgun was in the bedroom Mm -hmm. and he just sat on his bed and he was paralyzed with fear and he's shaking, holding like he's holding the gun and it's shaking and he just sat there all night because he said he knew if his dad managed to break the door down one of them was going to die yeah and then eventually jose stopped and he gave up and he um he left the door but um eric didn't sleep all night he just sat in that position with the gun in his lap ready so sunday morning he came downstairs eric and he said it was really really bad the fear and the anxiety and fighting and days of limited sleep and just all of these horrible emotions building up the tension in the house was just like tangible so eric just takes off he leaves the house he was really emotional and afraid to be there so he decided to go for a drive by himself lyle decided to stay home because the brothers both agreed and kind of felt like maybe lyle could try talking to their parents because Like I said earlier, between the two brothers, Lyle was a little bit more confrontational Mm -hmm. and he had a history of standing up to Jose, whereas Eric, uh, I don't want to talk shit about him, but you know, he was just a little bit more meek and sensitive and quiet, reserved. He did not make it a habit to stand up to Jose. So they just felt like maybe Lyle could stay there and reason with them and try to get them to agree to let Eric moved out for UCLA after all and then maybe that would kind of cool things off like maybe they could all agree that that the boys wouldn't out them okay so Eric is driving around town aimlessly aimlessly and he wound up at the church of the good shepherd it's some place that he had been to a few times and it just felt like a safe place to go to so he's there for a long time but he still felt like too scared to go home so he went to the beach He goes to Santa Monica. He said he parked his car on PCH. He sat on the hood of it, and he just watched the water until the sunset. He said he felt like the world was just ending, and he didn't want to go back to the house. Mm -hmm. But this is before cell phones. This is in 1989. So he knows that he has to go back. He left his brother there all day, and he needs to know how it went and make sure he's okay and all of that stuff. Like, he just doesn't have a choice. So he gets back to the house and it's like 10 p.m. And he's been gone like since that morning when he got up. And the house is all dark and quiet. He's too afraid to go in through the front door because he's worried he might see his dad. So he quietly sneaks around the side of the house to enter through the backyard and he finds Lyle outside. And Lyle is pissed because Eric was only supposed to be gone for a little while, but he was gone all day. He told Eric everything had gone wrong and that he was like just itching to leave but he was worried that he might leave and risk leaving Eric there alone and he couldn't do that Mm -hmm. Lyle told him that it had all gone wrong and then that he had told his parents that he was just waiting for Eric to get home and that they were both going to leave as soon as he was back but Jose demanded that both boys stay home that night Lyle I guess based off whatever happened, I couldn't find anything that explained like what happened that day between them, but whatever was said, Lyle was certain that his parents were going to kill him that night and that they were just waiting for Eric to get back to do it too. So he's terrified for his own safety, but refuses to risk leaving his brother to die. So he stays there all day, just uh, just this ball of energy, terrified. And then it's just, he's so mad too at Eric because it's just like, where the fuck have you been? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> you know? get out of here. And um, so Kitty's own sister later says that she believes 
that by talking about the abuse with each other and then confronting their parents that the boys had signed their own death warrants. Like her own sister, Mm -hmm. after having learned everything, believes they absolutely were going to die. The boys. The boys because of what they had done. There was just, there was no way that someone like Jose was going to stand for being exposed as a child molester and Kitty had known all along and she chose the lifestyle that came with Jose over her own children so she wasn't going to let them take it all away. So the boys are in the backyard they're like panicked and whispering and they decide that if they can sneak upstairs to get some clothes then they could probably sneak back down and leave and their parents won't know. When Eric comes back downstairs he sees um, Lyle coming out of the den and his mom is following behind, slurring and yelling, you're not going anywhere, you're not going anywhere, you're gonna stay here tonight. Eric gets to the bottom of the stairs just as Jose comes out of the den and there's this big confrontation. Both the boys are terrified but determined to leave. Eric starts crying again and Lyle stands between his brother and his dad. Jose looks at Eric and he tells him to go up to his bedroom and he'll be up there to deal with him soon. Ew. Both Eric and Lyle knew exactly what that meant. So Lyle is like, no, you are not going to touch my little brother again. And Jose tells him, I do what I want with my family. He's not, he's my son, not your little brother. Well. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, you don't even know what the definite, what? Okay, shut up. Shut up, Jose. (laughs) So again, Jose tells Eric, go to your room and I'll be up after I finish watching my movie. So he grabs Kitty by the arm and he takes her back to the den and he shuts the doors behind them. Eric is like hysterical and Lyle is panicked, but he's trying to be protective and calm. And they're just standing there staring at these closed doors and they feel like this is it. Like something's gonna happen to them tonight. Jose isn't just planning to sexually abuse him like he normally does. They feel like they really believe like- They're going to die. They're going to die. So Lyle is like, this is it, this is it, this is it. We have to go get our guns. And they run upstairs and they get their shotguns and they come back down. Eric is still hysterical. Lyle is super upset. They both feel like any second the doors to the den are gonna open and they're gonna die. And so they just charge at the doors and they open them up and just start shooting into the room. Mm It's dark in the room, it's chaotic, the shotguns sound like cannons, there's smoke from the guns, glass is shattering everywhere, they can't see anything, and they're just shooting blindly into the room that they know that their parents are sitting in. Mm -hmm. Eric runs out of bullets, he bolts out of the room, and he collapses onto the stairs. He's on the verge of vomiting, and now at this point, I mean, like, he's inconsolable. Like, whatever is beyond hysterical is what is lyle runs out of bullets but he hears a noise coming from his mom so he reloads walks into the room leans over the coffee table and shoots her at point blank range and then he goes to eric on the stairs and they just sit there sobbing holding each other rocking back and forth and they wait for the police to arrive but no one comes that's the end of part one Ooh. Well, I feel terrible for ever assuming what I assumed. Yeah. And you like you don't you don't even know anything yet. There's more awful things. There like and I'm honestly like I have really gone back and forth on whether or not like I want to like how how specific specific and graphic I should make it because I feel like there's ways of not being I feel like there's ways to get across something horrible without getting too specific, but this story is yeah. so, like, I can't even describe it. Like, it is so, the only reason that I know, like, that I feel so compelled to even do this story and to tell it in its entirety, which takes, is going to take a couple of hours, that's yeah. why we have to do two episodes, is because I heard all of the specifics, and so... I don't know, like how I, 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 got, I don't know. Well, I think you have to specifically for, I mean, just to even do the victims, to their honor, story, I know. there's That's, some justice, right. but also the fact that they're sitting in jail. Right. And I mean, I don't know the legal system front and back, obviously, but it we're really, gonna dive into but it, it really all. pisses me off the fact that there isn't some sort of like, I know they went through hell. It's understandable. They had to, to escape. 
And that's what we'll okay, talk we'll about. Okay, we'll talk about because, that part two then. Because on the surface of this story and this, the what the media sold at that time mm-hmm. is these two rich white boys were getting cut off by their parents, so they viciously murdered them. That's the story I've always believed it to that's be. That's what I always thought it was. You, everyone, like it's, that's what the story was. And then the things that come out in the trial... Um, about like their their childhood and their abuse and all of that, people just wrote it off. Wrote it off as yeah. a defense. Like it, it's just the story that the defense came up with. And or it's like, the motive. Yeah. And so Oy. it's it's really really heavy. And okay. so I I guess maybe I should have done a warning at the beginning of this one, but I felt like I wasn't too specific about anything. No. But I will give a major trigger warning about the child molestation yeah. for the next one because it is. I feel like I just need to be. Yeah, no, I get it. Honestly, well, I'm looking it. forward to part two. Part one was excellent. Can't wait to hear the rest of it. Yeah. I wonder if I'll cry. <laughs> it's like if such you an do, emotional. I will. It's like it's such an emotional story. It's crazy. Okay. Well. So when will part two be? Re- when will it be released? Okay, I said that word. But so <laughs> when are you going to be released? Mm. <laughs> And when can the people listen to part two? I think I'll do it like the following ones. I think I'll just do back to back. Like we'll release it on Wednesday like normal. And then instead of letting you have the following week, I'm going to take next. it. And then you'll just get, you'll get pushed. Sounds like a, sounds like a deal. Yeah. I All contemplated right. like doing it back to back like Wednesday and Thursday, but I feel like. No, it's okay. I'd rather wait and like spend time working on part two, making it good. Okay. Well. Okay. I'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. For all of our detailed source material, please visit our website, thecrimebarpodcast.com. If you'd like to see content from today, you can find us on Instagram and YouTube at Crime Bar Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, which we have linked on our website as well as our Instagram, patreon.com slash crimebarpodcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Anna Katharina. We'll see you next week.